Good afternoon, my conscious co-creators. Welcome to another edition of the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased that you are here with me today. Oh, we've got a wonderful show in store for you today with a great guest in studio. Uh, unfortunately, no Facebook live stream today. We're actually pre-recorded. Um, but, you know, when I'm back live next, you'll have a Facebook live stream, which is a shame because I have a beautiful guest in studio with me today. But you're just going to have to picture her in your mind when you hear her voice. Of course, first, let's get started with our quotes of the day from the universe and from Abraham. Let's see what they have in store for us today. First, from the universe. If you could actually stand in someone else's shoes to hear what they hear, see what they see, and feel what they feel, you would honestly wonder what planet they live on and be totally blown away by how different their, quote, reality, unquote, is from yours. You'd also never, in a million years, be quick to judge again. Just saying, the universe. <laughs> we love our quotes from Mike Dooley in the universe. Uh, this is uh, one that I actually, a quote I really appreciate a lot, and it's one I actually work with quiet clients quite a bit, which is about, um, you know, learning that we don't really know what it is like to be another person. We don't truly know what it's like to walk a mile in their shoes, to see life from their perspective, to have their experiences, to know what they're like. And because of that, we don't really know when we're so quick to judge and to put something on somebody, it's really not fair because you don't know what experiences this person had. You don't know what kind of trauma they've been through as a child. You don't know what kind of hard knocks they've had as an adult. And yet we're so quick to like look at somebody doing something and say, oh my God, look how awful it is. Oh, look at the way that person is acting. Oh my God, I would never be like that in a million years. How do you know you wouldn't be like that in a million years? You haven't experienced what they've experienced. You haven't been through what they've been through. You see, ultimately, and this is what I always get back to, when we're so quick to judge somebody for something else, it's really more a reflection about what's going on inside of us. Because we don't know what it's like to be another person. As much as we think we do, we really don't. So when it comes to like people acting in a way that triggers us, those triggers are not really about the other person. They're really about what's going on inside ourselves. And as a teacher of mine once said, you know, energetically, we've all done the best and worst of everything. So who are we to judge whether they've done something great or something awful that it's being so good or so bad? So let's remember that if we were actually inside another person, experiencing the world through their eyes, we would really wonder what planet are they on because it would look completely different from our own. So a very wonderful and apropos quote from the universe today. I love it. I love Mike Dooley in the universe. These are great quotes. Okay, let's see what Abraham has for us today. Don't let any place that you are standing frighten you. All it is is a byproduct of some energy alignment which only gives you stronger clarity about what you want and, most importantly, greater sensitivity about whether you're in a receiving mode or locked off from it. Abraham. Hmm, an interesting quote from Abraham. I don't think I've had this one before. Um, and a very good one about, you know, we have a tendency, if we're not judging other people, to be judging the circumstances that we're in. And we think, oh, my God, this is so awful. Oh, my God, this is so horrible. Oh, look what's happening. And what we don't realize is whatever situation, whatever circumstances, whatever is going on is really a reflection of where our energy, where our thought patterns, where our, our, uh, where our, our decision making has brought us to. It's a by, as Abraham says, it's a byproduct of our the alignment of our energy. 
and if it's not what we want, like, that's okay. You don't have to judge it as being bad. All we have to do is come to the realization, oh, my God, this gives me greater clarity. This situation helps me to understand that this is really what I do not like and do not want. And really what I want is something else. So everything serves us in one way or another. Either it serves us by uplifting us, by making us feel good because it's in alignment with our hopes, dreams, and desires, or it serves us by helping to clarify the contrast that we do not like. The better we know what we don't want, the better we know what we do want. Right? We, we don't like this situation in our office because our coworkers is antagonistic. The more we clarify the fact that we want a workplace that's harmonious, the people working together and supporting with each other. We don't like the fact that you know we have all these bills and, and the money isn't flowing as much as we would like. The more it clarifies the fact that what we do want is an abundant being in the flow type of experience. So it all serves us one way or another. It just depends upon what is our focus and what are we looking at and, and how are we being in the moment. So two wonderful quotes from the universe and Abraham, very much in alignment with each other about sort of judgment and, and very much, I think, uh, apropos for the topic that we have today and for our guest. And it is my extreme pleasure to introduce to you Dr. Deb Courtney, who is a college professor, psychotherapist, social worker, so you know she has a special place in my heart, speaker, writer, and world adventurer. She integrates Western psychology and spiritual principles to help people resolve anxiety, depression, and past traumas and tap into their unlimited potential. Welcome to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Dr. Deb. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's wonderful to have you. Um, as, as our audience knows, and if you're a first-time listener, you might not realize, but we broadcast out of the Double Diamond Wellness Center, which is uh, my wife's and I uh, wellness center here in the Upper West Side. My wife is a licensed clinical social worker um, who is uh, very similar to Dr. Courtney. So uh, it's always my pleasure to help support people in the helping fields because, you know, sometimes they don't get the... Uh, the, the quote-unquote glory that, that some of the other professions do. If you're not inventing a new technology or you're not an investment banker or you're not uh, you know, making billions of dollars, people think what you're doing is not as important, but what you do is important, isn't it, Deb? It is, and thank you for acknowledging that and giving us a voice. Absolutely, my pleasure. So I'm curious, uh, you know, most people get dissuaded away from becoming a social worker uh, in college and younger because, you know, oh, you can't make much money doing that. Well, what sort of encouraged you to, to take that path? Um, to be honest, I didn't even know what a social worker was or what a social worker oh. did when I was younger. Okay. Um, what I really just following my path led me here. Okay. So early on, uh, my parents gave me really great advice when I was young, which was just to always follow my joy and what made me happy. Oh. And that was the best advice they could have given me because it never steered me wrong. So when I was younger, I was very um, type A, wanted to know what uh -huh. I was going to be when I was going to grow up and uh -huh. all of those answers. Um, um, and I didn't have them. Okay. And they really encouraged me to trust my path. And that's what I did. Wow. So I just kept taking the steps that led me to joy. Mm -hmm. And that led me to the field of social work. Oh, okay. So you weren't like Lucy and the Peanuts with a little stand saying, you know, doctor in five cents or anything? <laughs> nope. No. Did, did, were you like the kind of person like all your girlfriends would come to you and tell you all their problems and it would make them feel better? Um, yeah, I think I did. <laughs> My friends came, now that I look back, yes. Yeah. I was kind of playing the role from an early uh, age. Okay, okay. And uh, so when you started so studying social work, I mean, mm -hmm. obviously it was probably a little bit different because you didn't know what to expect. What about like, uh, you know, becoming a social worker, becoming a therapist? Um, you know, early on, like, I'm sure you must have had some expectations. How were those expectations like, how was the reality of it different than what your expectations were in the beginning? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Um, 
I started out in in psychology, so I started mm-hmm. out more in the research end of things, ah, okay. where I was doing clinical research. Right. Um, and as I learned more about psychology and understood how we operate as human beings, mm-hmm. I really found the desire to understand more of how people are affected by the systems that affect them or right. around them. Right. So, meaning their family systems, communities, mm-hmm. um, culture, society. So that's what led me more into social work. And when I started in social work, I really um, didn't, what I didn't know going into it was how much I would grow as a result of the work. That through every Uh, interaction that I had with another human being in holding a space for them to heal or to learn about themselves or to evolve, that I in fact was growing and evolving as well. So that's been the biggest gift that I had no idea would be given to me in this field. So coming in, I was kind of naive to that. Mm. And that's one of the... um, the factors of this field that and my career that I appreciate so much now. Yeah, that's one of the things they often say is that your your clientele is really a reflection of sort of the issues that you're working on, not necessarily the same way, but but that you know the people we tend to attract as healers, as therapists are are people that are a reflection of kind of some of the stuff that's going on inside of us and it's like as we helping the other person to heal um, the more we're really helping ourselves to heal in the process. 100%. Yeah, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. And, um, but after you graduated, you started studying like uh, more than just sort of the traditional psychological aspects of, of therapy, right? Yes, I did. I, for early on, both of my first positions were in in settings that were um, working with people that had experienced significant trauma. So my first position was in a domestic violence agency. Uh, my second position was in an inpatient psychiatric hospital okay. working with adolescents. And what I learned very quickly was that no matter... what the client was presenting with, whether it was symptoms of anxiety or depression or bipolar disorder, that I noticed there was this commonality of significant trauma in their history, Uh, either abuse or neglect or um, not having a primary caregiver, so going in and out of foster care system. And early on, I said, you know, I feel like we're missing something, that just focusing on the diagnosis of anxiety or depression and treating those symptoms isn't getting at this underlying cause of what happened in this individual's life. So it really led me into getting advanced training about understanding how trauma impacts us as human beings and how our early experience impact our brain development and our neurological processing and and, um, how we experience emotion in our body and regulate emotion and how all of that that process can manifest as mental health disorders such as anxiety depression right, etc right so so really you got intrigued by like you know not like okay let's put this person on a certain chemical to to change their behavior so that they're they can function but it's more coming back to like why are they like this in the first place exactly it was that switch of thinking of from what's wrong with an individual to what's happened in an individual's life right right? so that is a completely different way of looking at what's going on because when we understand it from that perspective it's very empowering because there's a level of healing that happens there correct correct yes and that's one of the things that i've learned through the work that we do here at the center over time is like how much comes from trauma and how so many different conditions that we think are chemical imbalances, whatever, actually all come back to some trauma, either significant or or apparently not significant, but can be significant to the individual. Absolutely. And that's a great point, Sam, because what I've come, my understanding of trauma has switched and evolved over the years from this objective understanding of it, which is basically what the research tells us is trauma, right? Which are those big experiences of some kind of abuse or um, violence or exposure to violence. Um, to a subjective understanding of trauma, which is basically understanding that every individual, whatever is traumatic to them in their lives, right. is the definition of trauma, trauma. for them. Right. So it really kind of expands it to understand that we all as human beings have experienced some level of feeling very vulnerable or out of control. And those experiences are what's traumatic to us. Right, 
Right, right. Okay, wonderful. It's time for us to take our first break. Okay. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about trauma, and then we're going to talk about some of the, some other little aspects before we get into something I really want to talk about, which is one of these amazing therapies for treating trauma, which we'll get to Great. after this break. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. My guest this hour is Dr. Deb Courtney, and we will be right back. Thank you. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hello, I'm JC. I'm Joan. And And welcome welcome to 21st Century Entrepreneur. We bring education, insight, knowledge, awareness, trouble, craziness, and fun. For you, the entrepreneur who's looking to build your business. And your community. Listen every Friday from noon to 1 Eastern on talkradio.nyc. And you can tweet us at 21stCE Radio or Talk Alternative. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're talking with Dr. Deb Courtney, uh, licensed clinical social worker and psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we're talking a little bit before the break about, you know, kind of trauma and, and how so many disorders that we see today are really a result of trauma. And one of the things that I learned uh, over the last couple of years was how when you're a baby or when you're a little, you know, one, two, three-year-old toddler a door slamming loudly can be a trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a parent screaming at somebody else can be a trauma, right? Like a, a trauma doesn't have to be, you know, someone getting killed in front of you or some really super extreme situation that we think of, correct? Correct. Um, you know, we're very resilient as human beings, right? Mm-hmm. We're here to, sur- we are programmed to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, but anything with that survival mechanism comes our fight, flight, or freeze response. Right. So any experience in our lives that kind of leaves this imprint on us that causes our fight, flight, or freeze response to go off could be a trauma to us. Um, So what what we understand now about the brain is that most times when we experience an event that causes our fight, flight, or freeze response to go off, Mm -hmm. we are able to come back to our baseline pretty quickly. We're able to come back down and be neutral and... um, feel calm again. However, sometimes what happens is that fight, flight, or freeze response fails to turn off. So it stays signaling the nervous system that you're in danger of some sort, right? right? And that's when we start to see people struggle or suffer with symptoms because what happens is um, this nervous system response is preparing your body for defensive action. Mm. So it may be telling you, you know, you're not safe, sending yourself messages, you're not safe. Mm. So what happens? All of your levels rise. Your heartbeat might rise, your uh, your heart rate rather, your perspira- uh, perspiration, everything that can kind of mimic symptoms of, let's say, a panic attack, right. right? So that's what we see is that we all experience throughout our lives times when our fight, flight, or freeze response will turn on, right. but typically it turns back off pretty quickly. It's when it doesn't turn off that we start to see our symptoms come up. Right. And, and, you know, the sort of two thoughts came to mind as you were talking. The first was, um, uh, I don't know how long ago, a few years ago, I had a couple of uh, therapists who are also brain researchers on the show. Mm -hmm. And one of them had pointed out how because of how we've evolved from the jungle and the plains, like any little thing was a life or death situation Mm -hmm. and that often like this trauma will bring up to us when it's re-triggered like oh my god in our nervous system like oh my god i've got to run oh my god i'm going to get killed oh my god i'm going to get killed but if you stop yourself and say to yourself just like 
is this a life or death situation? And you realize, well, no, this is just my boss yelling at me. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden you kind of calm down because the nervous system kind of doesn't know that all these triggers are not life or death. Absolutely. And also in line with that, Sam, is that most of our triggers develop when we're children. So that pattern, that network or that neural network, as we describe it, that was Mm -hmm. developed in the brain connected to that fight or flight response to that particular trigger is connected to a young experienced most often. Right. Right. So even though we're in our adult selves, let's say with this example, you're using in an office and the Mm -hmm. boss yelling at you, um, even though you're an adult in that moment, the trigger it's pressing is a very young part of the individual. Right. So it could be your dad yelling at you when you were three years old for breaking something. Exactly. So that's why it could feel so much more threatening than it actually is in reality in the moment. Right. And, and then the other thought that kind of came to mind was something I heard, eh, I don't know, within the last couple of years was that trauma happens when our brain or our nervous system doesn't have time to fully process the situation that happened. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say you're in a car and you're in an accident or a fender bender, you know, you, you, you experience sort of this emotional trauma for the moment, but then it's like you got to get out, you got to deal with the situation, you got to get the person's insurance. And so that, that experience is kind of a little bit stuck in the nervous system because you didn't fully have time to process it. Absolutely. The memories get stuck in the midbrain, right? Where, right. where we store our memories and our emotional the, our emotional center lives. Right. So that's why a follow-up with therapeutic approaches is so important right. to go back and process the experience so we can help it get unstuck, if you will. Right. And that's kind of part of the thing. It's like some people feel like, oh, what do I need therapy for? I'm not you know, messed up like this person or that person. Mm-hmm. And they don't realize that it's helpful for everybody because we all have things like that. It doesn't have to be, you know, oh, you had awful parents and a horrible childhood. It just could be there are some experiences that we've interpreted a certain way that, you know, have turned into like knots that we just need to untie those knots a little bit through a therapeutic process. Absolutely. And I feel that's one of the biggest misunderstandings about therapy is that it's just for someone that is is really struggling or has a mental health disorder. Therapy is something that is helpful for for anyone, like you said, because really what it does is it helps you learn more about yourself to just keep evolving to the next level of who you can be in the world, right? right? Of how the best level that you can live your life at. So it really is for anyone and everyone. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I mean, this I've learned and now I want to kind of get into one of your specialties, which is something I really appreciate so much mm-hmm. because I had the opportunity to experience EMDR for myself. Mm-hmm. And again, it, it's not that I was struggling or things were so awful, but, you know, I had some issues and I wanted to work on. So I um, because my wife is also an EMDR therapist and she had been seeing this, this EMDR therapist for a couple of years and telling me about all these amazing experiences. So I thought, you know what, let me give this a try. And I found it just over a course of six months and it wasn't that long of a treatment, like an amazing process. So let's like lay the foundation a little bit for our students understand what is EMDR and, and kind of just where it came from. Sure. EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing, which is a long name. So we, yes. we usually call it EMDR. And it really taps into this idea that our brain and our body is storing um, our early experiences, our early traumatic experiences, and that they're manifesting Um, today and that's why we're struggling kind of what I was speaking to earlier so it's a therapeutic technique that allows an individual to tap into those early experiences and do healing work around it Um, Dr. Francine Shapiro created it in the 80s and um, we've seen the research has shown you know most recently that it's treating it's effective in treating not just trauma experiences Mm -hmm. but many different mental health disorders right they're saying it's amazing for uh, PTSD PTSD depression anxiety um, every personality disorders even which historically have been have been shown uh, or have been said to not have a good prognosis Um, we're seeing good effects with um, things like borderline personality disorder yeah, I, I heard the story was that uh, Francine was dealing some with some really difficult times in her life and she would go for these long walks in the woods and she would look back up and back and forth at the trees on either side and then somehow like after she had this 15 minute walk she started to feel better. Yes. And then that kind of got her tr- like kind of got her thinking and she discovered this whole thing how 
this uh, eye movement back and forth or what they call bilateral stimulation actually helps the brain to process. It does. So that's once we help the client um, tell their trauma narrative or their trauma story and identify their negative thoughts attached to it, the emotions, the distressing emotions, where they're Mm -hmm. feeling those emotions in their body, Mm -hmm. then as the clinician, we move them through a series of eye movements Mm -hmm. or bilateral tapping, which where they can hold on to tappers. um, And and through that process, we see the, the, the processing move from the frontal cortex back more to the midbrain, mm. where they're able to kind of tap into those stored experiences, stored right. emotions, stored memories, and release them in a more effective way than just through traditional talk therapy. Right, right. And, and actually kind of brings up my next question, which is, what would you consider sort of the difference between EMDR and traditional talk therapy? Because, you know, most people think of therapy as, you know, I go and I sit and I talk to my therapist for 30 years once a week and they might feel a little bit better, but they're still kind of in therapy. Yes. With EMDR, it's a little bit different, isn't it? It is a little bit different. So when I talk about the frontal cortex, I mean that front part of your brain is just like how I'm engaging in a conversation with you right now, Sam. I'm thinking about the next thing that's going to come out of my mouth. I'm thinking about what I want to share next. When we're in traditional talk therapy, that's the space that we're operating from. Our therapist asks us a question or explores something with us, and we think about the next answer. Where EMDR is a little bit different is it taps you into your body sensations, Mm -hmm. and the bilateral processing, the moving the eyes back and forth, like I said, moves the processing back to a further part of your brain, Mm -hmm. to a little bit more of an expanded consciousness, so that you're not so much thinking about your response Right. Or the next thing that's going to come out of your mouth. But it's just the work that the brain needs to do mm-hmm. um, in in not such a conscious, thought-out way in right. order to connect new dots or to release some of those stuck old patterns. Right, right. And, and so it's really more, I guess you would consider it more of a body-centered therapy as opposed to a quote-unquote talk-centered therapy. It, body-centered piece is a big piece of it. The, the, I think one of the most beautiful things about EMDR is that it's so integrative, mm. right? It brings in somatic, so the body-centered work. Right. It brings in um, CBT, so really those how neural networks develop and the thought work. Right. Um, it brings in some traditional talk therapy when we're starting out mm-hmm. um, the work together. So it really integrates a lot of different modalities together. Right. Right, right. And then you mentioned somatic. So there's another form of, of body-centered therapy called somatic experiencing, mm-hmm. which, which is different from EMDR, but has some similarities in that it's more about the body than about talking. Yeah, it's about how... Uh, the- one of my teachers says that the body is the, is the blueprint of our lives, right? Mm, yeah. And um, that basically whatever we've experienced gets stored in our body. Right. So through the sensations we, we feel in our body, whether it's in our stomach or in our chest or our shoulders, that, that gives us a lot of information when we can learn how to drop into our body, feel mm. those sensations, uncover what's living in those sensations, and start to heal them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. All right, wonderful. Um, you know what? Let, let's take our next break. Great. And when we come back, I want to talk a little, little bit more about some of the other ideas that you tend to integrate into your therapy that's uh, kind of in alignment with what we like to talk about on this show. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. If you have an interest in marijuana, you want to know about marijuana, law, policy, and culture, then feel free to join me, Joseph A. Bondi, every Friday at 11 o'clock in the morning on my show, In the Know 420 on TalkingAlternative.com. Hi, this is Rob Kay. And I'm Callie Alpert. And we're hosts of The Rob and Callie Show. Are you looking for a show that talks about real stuff like life, love, the pursuit of being yourself? Then you have come to the right place because we cover topics ranging from chivalry to gratitude to your relationship with money and everything in between. So listen to us on The Rob and Callie Show Tuesdays, 8 to 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on talkradio.myc. 
Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity, talking all about trauma, therapy, EMDR, and all kinds of fun stuff today. Um, so, W, you've, uh, I would say, like since graduating and, and practicing some of these different body-centered therapies and helping people with trauma, mm-hmm. you've, I would say, kind of evolved a little bit and, and have taken sort of a, a different perspective or a different view of a lot of things. And so I'm curious if you could sort of talk about how um, sort of this metaphysical side of yourself got integrated into your practice. Like how did it, it get developed and how did you integrate it into your practice? Absolutely. I'm happy to. Um, so going back to what I started with was that idea of following my path, right? Mm-hmm. And, and trusting that what's coming along my way and what's bringing me joy and, and I'm passionate about, I need to explore. Well, as I was working with clients doing this body-centered work, I really was intrigued by the different, how we store things in our body, our experiences right. and the power in that. And that led me to learning a lot about our chakra system. And I started to be um, very curious about the chakra system because this is a you know thousands. How how did you first hear about it through yoga or something? Yes, actually, it was through Ah, yoga. Okay, so probably a couple of my yoga instructors were bringing in some meditative techniques at the end of class, talking about the chakras, grounding ourselves, Mm -hmm. and everything that I was learning personally was so connected to the work that I was doing in the room Mm. with clients through these somatic experience the somatic experience work. So um, I just wanted to learn more. So I signed up for a year long energy healing course, which was really um, focused on learning all about your chakras for yourself. Uh, Um, And through that, what was the name of the course? It was called, who was it given by? Um, Susie Mazzoli was the teacher. Oh, Susie. Yeah, I know Susie. You know I've Susie? had her on the show. Oh, yes. she's wonderful. Yes, she is. She's a beautiful healer and her yeah. and a great teacher. Yeah. So I learned all about energy healing through her and through that okay. year-long course. Uh-huh. And I, I, a lot of those techniques I started to bring into my work, mm-hmm. um, theoretically, mostly. Right. Okay. Um, And also, as I was going through this work myself, I just became so aware of other teachings to guide Mm -hmm. my own well-being, right? Right. So the teachings, you quoted Abraham. So the teachings of Abraham, um, the teachings in the Course of Miracles, how we really can operate, that we don't have to operate in the world from this space of of feeling so alone. And that, you know, it's all about us and and how we can evolve, that we have such a support system in the universe and in our loved ones that have passed on before us mm-hmm. um, in our healers our guides even though they're unseen there's right. so much support for us right. so that really kind of uh, personally helped me dive further into the metaphysical did you find when you integrated that into your therapy practice that some people were kind of uh, skeptical about some of this yeah well <laughs> you know being a therapist I one of the pieces the ways that I practice is to really um, hold a space for the client mm-hmm. so it really is all about the client okay. what I've had to learn and what I've since taught um, some of my um, mentees that come to see me for supervision mm-hmm. is that what I found is we're taught when we're becoming social workers and therapists it's that self-disclosure you know to stay away from it and right. it's very important that we do that, right? right? But at the same time, I feel like some new clinicians then really shy away from exploring some personal topics like spirituality uh, or uh, because they're afraid that they're going to impose some of their beliefs, beliefs right, right? right? And what I've come to is that I'm not imposing my beliefs on my clients in their space, right. but I do think it's very important for us to help clients develop their beliefs mm. about spirituality and explore them mm-hmm. just like we would about any other topic right right? so if someone has a belief set let's say about um, marriage 
I'm going to help them dive in and explore what's the blueprint? Where did that come Mm. from? How Mm. did you learn to feel about marriage that way? It's the same thing with spirituality. So if someone says, you know, I don't believe in anything beyond Mm. what we see here, Mm. I'm going to help them explore, you know, where did that belief system start? How did you get there? How is that serving you? So that's what I try to encourage um, the people that I mentor, my, the other fellow clinicians, is that don't be afraid to help people explore mm-hmm. their belief systems about spirituality. And what I often find from there is that people wind up having an innate curiosity to uh, learn more and okay. then want to and ask me to bring in some material that can really help them develop more spiritually. Right, right. So that's usually how the process goes. Um, and see. then I can bring in some teachings or some readings that they can explore on their own and come back and integrate into the work. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so in working with like the chakra system, which is something I work with myself on Mm. a daily basis and, and, and kind of exploring this with people, how has it helped your therapeutic practice? Oh, tremendously. Right. Because I can oftentimes... I really feel now that it's the integration of these um, very academic scientific approaches that I've learned in school and in practice and these spiritual principles and energetic principles. It's the integration of those two worlds where I see the most healing, right? right? Because if I can just bring in the framework of, oh, this person isn't breathing, right? And or this person is anxious and worrying about this topic. So Mm. they need more grounding energy because Mm. all their energy is in their head right now. So what can I do to help them feel more grounded, to feel their feet on the floor, to feel more present in their body so we can pull some of the energy out from the head and the thinking so quickly, right? So it's helped me just shift and give another perspective to what modality will be helpful for them. Right, right. So in your own, uh, I'm assuming that you're an EMDR therapist. You, you've had EMDR yourself. You, I have, gone yes. Through it. So, so I've heard it said that sometimes an EMDR session can be a spiritual experience. Have you ever had that yourself? I have. Oh, um, do tell. I, I actually have. It's <laughs> funny you ask that. I um, I had a, spir- uh, a pretty spiritual experience. I was very close to my grandmother. Uh-huh. Um, and... Actually, it's the first metaphysical experience that I had was when she was passing. Okay. So it's funny. um, I wasn't expecting to go into this, but I'm happy to (laughs) share. Um, When I was young, I shared a, a, a bedroom with my grandmother. Okay. And I don't know why hindsight's 2020, but as a child, I kept praying that when she passed, I was with her. Oh, and it was an interesting prayer, I think, for Mm -hmm. a young child. I have no idea what that was about. But then I was off to college down south and um, I was 19 and I got a call from my parents that my grandmother was passing and I needed to make the trip back up Mm -hmm. and I got back up and and we were using hospice for her. So she was in our our, my childhood bedroom Mm -hmm. and I went in and and said, Grandma, at this point, she was semi-conscious, so she was um, not able to speak and her Mm -hmm. eyes were closed. And I just went over to her and I said, I'm here. And I held her hand and and tears came out, Mm -hmm. you know, flowed out and and basically to say, um, I've been waiting for you, you know. Mm -hmm. And that evening, my family went to bed and I knew intuitively that she was going to pass that evening. So I stayed with her and I held her hand and I sang to her a bit. And um, with her passing, it was the most peaceful experience I've ever gone through. Wow. Is that I really felt she gave me this gift of, I believe, passing her energy through me as she transitioned. And I remember feeling this very weightless, utter peace in my body, moving my neck around to say it didn't even feel attached to my body. And, And it was such a gift because I felt pure bliss in that moment. And um, that was my first metaphysical experience. Mm-hmm. I was 19. What did I do? I went back to college and <laughs> partied with my friends. <laughs> so <laughs> it didn't really, yeah, didn't really set me on the course of, you know, full practice and spiritual development. Right. But years later, um, I went to a medium actually for the first time Ah. and he brought up in detail this experience that I went through with my grandmother Wow! and in a way that nobody could know. So that was kind of my next metaphysical. So now I was maybe in my mid twenties metaphysical experience where I was like, wow, Mm. 
there is something so beyond what we see here Mm -hmm. and it's so beautiful and i've i've learned that my grandmother um has become one of my guides but long story to get back to your original question is that i did um have an emdr experience where i was able to go fully back to that moment Uh, that my grandmother um, was passing mm -hmm. and be with her and process some of of the grief but also feel that a sense of that bliss again of Mm. her of her passing and so how has that experience affected how you view life now Oh, tremendously different. Going to that medium was, you know, I, I was raised Catholic, um, okay. so I would go to church with my family, mostly for holidays. Right. Um, <laughs> and and I, I believed, I always believed in, in a higher power and, and Jesus loved me and all of that, but I didn't really have a direct relationship with my higher power or I didn't have, even though I believed it wasn't, my, my faith wasn't as strong or I didn't feel as intimate with the universe and my higher power. And like, I could have a direct relationship with Jesus and Mary. Mm. And now I've since expanded that to Buddha and to all of the ascended masters, right? Right. Is that, um, it doesn't have to stay within the confines of one religion that, um, spiritual, connection is just so expansive so those experiences really allowed me to develop this relationship with um the the just unconditional love that exists beyond what we can see beautiful and and so then the next question obviously is then how does that help your practice your your therapeutic practice or like how has it affected your therapeutic practice do you feel like you're able to help people in a different way than you were before? I do, because I think I understand the human experience in a different way, Uh, right? So I understand, you know, our brain and our functioning and all of the the academic modalities that I've learned are so important because we are in a human form. Mm -hmm. However, we are these expansive spiritual beings, right? right? So without having that understanding, I don't think I can fully hold a space for an individual's experience. So being able to really understand that every human that I come in contact with is full of unlimited potential, Mm -hmm. expansiveness, Mm -hmm. and just um, that they come from the same source that I do, which is one of utter love, Mm. right? So that they are, um, just have all of this love within them waiting to pour out. Beautiful, beautiful. Do you think maybe you can give our audience like a little bit of an example of like how that looks like in a therapeutic setting? Like, you know, did you have maybe some client dealing with some massive trauma that that you were able to kind of help them through it more energetically in a way something like that sure yeah i think um one thing is a switch in perspective right from from fear to love so using a lot of the principles from course in miracles and um and abraham's teachings of just really helping clients see okay yes this happened in mm-hmm. in your life mm-hmm. um but how can we reframe it mm-hmm. to feel more empowered about it uh, what was the gift that it brought so really um allowing our when when we start to view the classroom our, our earthly experience as a classroom, classroom for yeah. the soul to grow mm-hmm. it shifts everything because yeah. now all of our challenges all of the traumas if you will that have happened to us become some of our greatest opportunities for growth right, right. so some of our greatest gifts absolutely they're the gifts that help us tap into how resilient we are right. how strong we are how right. f- how much we have the capacity to forgive um, mm-hmm. all of these challenges that someone might present to us mm-hmm. become a gift that when we get to a place of healing, we can forgive and we can not only forgive, but bring gratitude to the person mm. and say, thank you for being a teacher along my path that has helped me to evolve in this way. Wow. Beautiful. Beautiful. I imagine that like, I know like there tends to be a lot of burnout among social workers and psychotherapists, but it mm-hmm. sounds like when you take this approach, it's more uplifting than it is in a sense burning you out. Yeah. I think that if we get too stuck in staring at the past, yeah. um, that for both the client and the clinician, it can lead to burnout. Yeah. Whereas, you know, of course we want to glance back at the past and we need to honor it and mm-hmm. make room for it, mm-hmm. but we don't want to get stuck back there. Right. Right. Exactly. We want to move towards um, a hopeful present 
mm-hmm. and future. Beautiful, beautiful. Believe it or not, I can't believe it. It's time for us to take our last commercial break of wow, the show. Okay. Time flies when you're having such great conversations. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're talking to Dr. Deb Courtney, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Talking Alternative Network. Are you into comics, movies, and pop culture at large? What about music and TV? Then you're in for a treat. This is Michael Dolce, your host on TalkingAlternative.com. I've been professionally writing comic books, screenplays, and music articles for almost 15 years. Catch my show, Secrets of the Sire, at its new primetime slot, Wednesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and get the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. For more info, go to SecretsOfTheSire.com. TalkingAlternative.com To the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We've been having an amazing conversation this hour with Dr. Deb Courtney, a, I would say, an enlightened psychotherapist. <laughs> Thank you for that, Sam. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. And, and it's really, uh, to me, I find fascinating of how many people I come across in sort of as a therapist or in these healing side of, of other sort of our social services that tend to have sort of this very spiritual side of themselves and really a very conscious side. And for me, it's always nice to see that kind of integrated into, you know, these approaches to help people to heal. Yes. Um, I think that something that draws us into this work usually is some sort of intuitive practice, right? Is that mm, becoming yeah. a healer, I think we're, we're led there because you have an intuition about what might be going on for someone and wanting to hold a space to help them tap into that and heal that as well. Right, right. Um, so I think that's part of part of that. Um, the other piece is that in doing this work, you're continually creating this space of love. Mm. Right. By holding a space to witness someone's story, um, there's there's nothing more loving than that in a nonjudgmental way where you're helping someone just be heard and seen um, and tap into their strengths. So I also think the energy of that kind of fosters a spiritual growth. Right, right, right. And it it seems like it, at least to me, I mean, I live in a different world, I think, than most people do because I'm surrounded by this stuff every day. But it seems like there is more of an openness to these kinds of conversations than there used to be. I think there is. Um, I, I do, being in the world of academia, I do yeah. feel like sometimes it's a little bit pushed against still. Um, yeah. That, you know... Uh, Science likes to see things, right? The world. But what we know now with quantum physics and real science is coming out about the unseen, right? right? So I feel like that's giving us permission to have these conversations um, in a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, regardless of whether people agree or disagree with it, at least the conversation is happening and becoming a conversation that happens in a slightly more public way. Yes. I mean, because I, I remember years and years and years ago, like this was very much on the fringe. You only talked about this kind of spiritual stuff with your friends who were also into it. Because if you had this conversation with like anybody who's not into it, oh, forget it. They, they wrote you off as crazy. Absolutely. And, and now that's not really the case as much anymore. I mean, they may say, oh, you're one of those. But it's it's not... It's not as, um, uh, what's the term? Woo-woo. It, not <laughs> as woo-woo, but, but you're not as marginalized by yeah. it as there used to be because there is sort of this, this greater awareness. We, we're a more connected society, so all these sort of more spiritual aspects are present regardless of whether they're accepted by everybody or not. Yes, it's a great point, Sam. And I also, you know, personally, I actually had to overcome some fear to step Mm. out fully into 
yes, this is how I practice. This is who I am in the world. Because being, you know, in in part in academia and yes. and a practicing clinician, you don't know if people are going to how they're going to react. Right. But right. overcoming that fear was one of the the best things that I did. What Be- kind of nudge do you want to do that? Um, I just couldn't keep it in anymore. Ah. You know, it just felt it was like just too I wasn't much a part of you. Yeah, I felt like I wasn't living in my truth by not really being verbal and and using my voice around what I believe in that could be helpful to people. So I felt kind of selfish by keeping it in Uh, too. Like, hey, this is information that I've learned that is really helpful to me. And if I'm going to say that I'm a healer, I need to put that information out there. And so what was the initial reaction when you initially did that? Because that's a, a big fear that a lot of people have. They may have these beliefs, but they're afraid to come out about it. What was that like for you when yeah. it did come out about it? Um, personally, so with friends and family, they were kind of um, a little bit surprised at first, okay. but then really interested. And, and oh. I found would ask a lot of questions and want to learn more. Okay. Everyone in their own time, right? Right. So it's not right. about, you know, I, I try to be really mindful to not preach to anyone or yeah. Put, yeah. impose my beliefs. Yeah, not but proselytize anybody. Exactly. Um, but when people are in their own time are curious, they come and ask questions. Right. Um, Professionally speaking, I've had a lot of colleagues come up to me and just say, you know, I'm I'm um, thank you for for giving this a voice because I feel this way, too. And I I find it difficult to do that. So I think it gives some other colleagues in the field permission to speak more openly about their spiritual practice as well. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. So tell me, what does the future hold for Dr. Deb Courtney? Anything exciting in the works you're working on? Um, yes, I actually I'm working on a book right now to try oh, to great. bring a lot of these principles together. Really, the integration, um, a little bit about my own spiritual development, okay. and then the integration between a lot of our traditional Western approaches to healing and more Eastern uh, philosophies, energetic healing, and spiritual principles. Oh, cool! So I'm trying to make that my baby right now and give it a lot of time and attention. Um, Do you have a working title for it? Not yet. Not yet. No, okay, well. I'm waiting to see what it evolves into okay wonderful wonderful yes. once you finish writing it and it gets published we'll definitely have to have you back on and talk oh, about it i appreciate it. that thank you you're welcome and you're one welcome. other exciting thing coming up is i am co-leading um a trip with a group called journey um we're going oh. to greece in june okay. um the dates i believe are june 10th to the 17th or 18th okay and we are going to be um facilitating and uh, volunteering at a refugee camp there oh, wow. um, for the majority of the week and then a few days at the beach to integrate the experience and reflect on on what it was like for us to do some self-growth. So that's going to be a pretty magical experience. If anyone's interested, I'd love to have you come along. And and who's that open to? Is that just for therapists or that's for anybody? It's actually open to anybody. Um, If you are a social worker, you can earn continuing education through the experience. Oh, nice. So that is a good opportunity for social workers, but it's open to anyone. You don't have to be in the field. Okay. And and sort of the idea behind that is to kind of help refugees in camps deal with their situation. Yes. Um, so in whatever way we can be most useful. So we're going to be working with a nonprofit on the ground there that is um, oh, at the refugee okay, site. And however we can be of the best service. That's what the uh, Are you familiar, Bridge just brings to mind, um, with uh, Viktor Frankl's work, uh, Man in Search of Meaning? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I love his um, finding meaning, I think, is one of our... our the most important things we can do with our life. Yes, right? yeah, yeah. There's a, the shaman that I work with. He's all talks to us about that people were meaning-making machines, mm. and that like everything we do, we make meaning from it. And uh, you know, Viktor Frankl's point was like we can make any kind of meaning from any kind of situation. <clears throat> that there maybe there isn't exactly an inherent meaning in anything. It's more what we interpret it and what kind of meaning we decide to, to make from it. So I was like, if life has no meaning, then let's make the most empowering, wonderful, joyful meaning we can from life, right? I'm with that, yeah. for sure. Awesome, awesome. So um, uh, I'm just curious, over this whole process, I mean, you've been obviously you've been a therapist for a while. You're mm-hmm. teaching now. You've really grown a lot as an individual and a therapist. Over this whole journey of yours, what's really surprised you the most that's, you know, surprised you or like changed you the most about this whole journey of yours? Um, I think really the importance of um, self-love and... Uh. Um, self-compassion is that it really all starts with the self so being able to um, see 
the divine within myself allows me to really be present for and mm-hmm. see the divine with everyone that I come in contact with. Right. So the importance of uh, what I've learned is to be really patient with myself, mm-hmm. um, to when judgments come up or those little nagging thoughts in my head that are critical mm-hmm. to look at them with love mm-hmm. rather than um, with frustration mm-hmm. and to um, work towards just being the, the brightest light that I can be so mm. that I can put that energy out into the world for others. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Dr. Deb. It's been a pleasure having you on the show this hour. Thank you for having me. It's been such a joy. It's been great. And if yeah. people want to find out more about you and Yeah, I guess the best way is probably to, to head over to my website, which, which is, is Dr. com. So that's D R D E B O R A H M as in Mary. Courtney, C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y dot com. All right. Beautiful. Thank you, Deb. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. And so I I hope you guys got a lot out of this. I really appreciate uh, Dr. Deb, you know, sharing her personal experiences. I think there's a lot of lessons in here for all of us of, uh, you know, overcoming that fear and being more authentic and, you know, learning that maybe life is a little more mysterious than, than we think it is. Um, I also just want to give a quick reminder to everybody. Um, our Conscious Business Collective is meeting uh, tonight, uh, uh, March 23rd at 7 p.m. You can find out all about it at our meetup group, which is meetup.com slash conscious dash biz, B-I-Z dash collective um we meet the fourth thursday of every month uh from 7 to 9 p.m uh this month uh we're working on doing a process around healing our relationship to relationships um we talked uh, last month about sort of what dictates what's the archetype that dictates our relationship to relationships and we'll talk a little bit more about it and then we're actually going to do an energetic process tonight so i hope you guys can join us again just go to meetup.com slash conscious dash biz dash collective thank you all so much for joining us it's been a pleasure having you next week i'm going to be uh on vacation heading out of the country uh for a little bit but i will be back in two weeks with a brand new live show thank you all for listening and we will talk to you then You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hello, I'm JC. I'm Joan. And and welcome welcome to 21st Century Entrepreneur. We bring education, insight, knowledge, awareness, trouble, craziness, and fun. For you, the entrepreneur who's looking to build your business. And your community. Listen every Friday from noon to 1 Eastern on talkradio.nyc. And you can tweet us at 21stCE Radio or Talk Alternative. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at TalkingAlternative.com. Are you into comics, movies, and pop culture at large? What about music and TV? Then you're in for a treat. This is Michael Dolce, your host on TalkingAlternative.com. I've been professionally writing comic books, screenplays, and music articles for almost 15 years. Catch my show, Secrets of the Sire, at its new primetime slot, Wednesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and get the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. For more info, go to secretsofthesire.com. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. 
Hi, this is Rob Kay. And I'm Callie Alpert. And we're hosts of The Rob and Callie Show. Are you looking for a show that talks about real stuff like life, love, the pursuit of being yourself? Then you have come to the right place because we cover topics ranging from chivalry to gratitude to your relationship with money and everything in between. So listen to us on The Rob and Callie Show Tuesdays, 8 to 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on talkradio.myc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network, 